0: Thank you for checking out Faith Cities podcast. We believe you'll be blessed by the Word of God today. Today we wrap up our series, The Way of Love. And I really hope that you've gleaned some knowledge and some truth from this that's helped you in your life. Now what we've looked at is we looked at love, and then we've looked at the opposite of love, because the first question we asked in the introduction week seven weeks ago, can you believe it, is we said, what's the opposite of love? And most people, I mean, I would expect the answer to be hate. But really, the opposite of love is self. And when we see that word self isn't a dirty word, but if we're not careful and we're not doing things that are motivated out of our love relationship with God... It becomes hard, it becomes heavy, and it becomes about ourselves. So we talked about a few things. We talked about relationships. What does it look like when a relationship comes out of love? What does service or, or serve, service to other people, serving others, look like when it comes out of love? What does worship look like? We talked about worship is really bare bones relationship with God. We now, as spiritual beings, because of what Jesus did, can commune with him, can have relationship with him that's intimate and that's real. But in the other side of self, and even as believers, even as a church, we can operate like this. Instead of re- building relationships because we truly care about people and care about others, we're just building a network. How can this help me in my life? How can I get to that next level in life? And then instead of service out of love, it becomes image. See, as a church, it can be real easy to fall into this. Wow, look what we're doing in the community. How many know it's great to serve others and reach out to the community? It's great to build relationships, but if it's out of self, it's from the wrong foundation. The other one is worship. This is a big deal. It's really, again, bare bones. It's relationship with God, but if we're not careful, it becomes self-foundation. It becomes works. I have to do this for God to bless me or love me more, or smile upon me. But that's not the issue. And then what we, we talked about last week with Gary is out of love comes growth and outreach versus reputation and success. And the one thing I loved about this process, I've been learning something here, folks. This is good. Is this section here, love, relationship, service, and worship, this is our part. That's right. This is what we do. These are our practices. Now, I know when we hear the word practices or disciplines, sometimes I go, whoa, whoa, is, is this law? No, no, no. Relationships, service, and worship, when they come out of love, it's not obligation because your motivation is love. But what's interesting is this part here, outreach and growth, this is God's part. This blew my mind. I thought, wait, wait God's part, but, but I gotta grow, I gotta grow. You know the Bible says that God causes us to grow? Amen. That what we produce is the fruit of the... Spirit, not of yourself, that the good works we do, He's prepared, He's God's prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Growth is God's deal. And then from that growth is outreach. You reach out to others. It's like automatic, like, man, God, you're so good. And then you start to reach out to others. But today I want to talk about this. DMD. I said before it doesn't mean dumb and dumber. It means disciples making disciples. An unchurchy way to say that is followers of Christ, making followers of Christ. Because on this side, what happens is you end up making status. Like I've reached this status. Look where I've brought myself. I've got a great network of friends. I'm doing hard work. I've got a great image. Look at my reputation. Look at the success and then status. And here's the thing about it. You're at the top all alone. God has nothing to do with it. But what's beautiful about the love walk is it reciprocates. So as you pick up friends and relationships and people along the way, suddenly it's almost without work. You're a follower of Christ making followers of Christ. And then they do the same, and then they do the same, and then they do the same. It reciprocates at the top of self. It's you. It's fleeting. It's for a moment, but it's not fulfilling like when you walk in love. And let me say this. I'm all about hard work. I learned in my household when you put your hand to something, the Bible says to do it with faithfulness. Do it to the best you can do. But, but here's the issue. If we're doing it out of self, it won't reap the same benefits as when we do it out of love. Let's turn to John chapter 13. Just a little recap for you there. But we're going to really look at this idea of discipleship or disciples making disciples. In the Gospel of John chapter 13, Jesus says this starting in verse 33. He says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Now, this is a big deal right here. I want us to listen to this. Jesus is saying something key. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment. What is it? Love each other. Say, wow. Say it backwards. Don't say it upside down. Mother's Day's next month. He says, I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Come on, Jesus, I want something deep, okay? Love each other. And then he says this, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. There's a lot of truth in this scripture, and I want to look at that and pull that apart today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you once again for an opportunity where we can come together in a community of believers, maybe some who still haven't made the decision but can look into your word. What is it you'd have to say to us about discipleship? What does it really mean to be a disciple? I pray today that this would be your words and your opinion, not my words and my opinion. Speak through me, Holy Spirit. We thank you for this time together, and everyone said, amen in Jesus name. Amen. Now before we get started here today, I want to make sure do you have pen and paper? Do you just say yes. Do you you're like, dude, we're in like the 21st century. Okay, do you have a tablet? Do you have a smartphone? Now if you want, you can go to YouVersion and pull up under the more menu, pull up events and look for Face City Michigan campus and you can follow right along, add your own notes and even save them for further reference. But What I want to do right now is I want to list the five characteristics of a disciple. This is the five characteristics of a disciple. Now, this is really key. This is important. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to write these down. I'm serious. This is a big deal. This is a life-changing opportunity right here, the five characteristics of a disciple. I want you to write this down, and then we're going to kind of dig into this and see what this means. So number one, are you ready? Awesome. Awesome five characteristics of a disciple. Number one, you keep pestering Jesus about who he will give more power to in heaven. Number one, did you catch that? You keep pestering Jesus about who he will give more power to in heaven. This is a great example of the early disciples and what they wanted. Lord, who will have more power? Who's going to sit at your right and left hand? This is important. Did you, did you write this down? This is important. Number two, You have no theological training, but own a small fishing business, which somehow makes you qualified because you get it. Yes, I did air quotes, get it. So if you have a small fishing business, you get it. We're fishers of men. That's another characteristic of being a disciple. Number three, people ask if you know Jesus, this is important, and you freak out, say no, and run away. (laughs) Are you getting this? These are the five characteristics of a disciple. This is important. Number four, you teach bad theology and have to have someone else come over and correct you. Five characteristics of a disciple. Number five, this is really important. How do you choose disciples? How would you choose? Is it the Holy Spirit? No. You choose other disciples by playing rock, paper, scissors. Now, I know in, in, Christian jokes, forgive me, right? Uh, what we're doing here, if you're not familiar with the disciples, is, is they didn't always do things correctly or right. But here's the thing. When Jesus chose his disciples, the thing I noticed is he didn't go to the temple. He didn't seek the counsel of the priests. He didn't say, hey, is, I want your most pious, religious young men to follow me. He didn't go to the religious organization of that day to choose his disciples. He went to the shores and found fishermen. He went through the town and found tax collectors. Boo, right? He found people who had issues. In fact, he found people who were rejected by religion. See, at that time, a young Jewish boy, after his bar mitzvah, he would go under a priest's guidance, and a priest would work with him for some time to see if he was qualified to work in the temple. If you saw a young man fishing or doing carpentry or any type of trade work of his family, that means he was rejected by the temple. The temple said, nah, you don't quite have enough. You don't cut the mustard, so we're going to go with someone else. But go back home, learn your father's skill and craft and trade, and you'll be good. Have a great life. Oh, and be a good Jewish boy and obey the law. This is interesting to me that Jesus found rejected young men. People that... Religious society said, you're not good enough. You don't measure up. It's it's not going to work out. He found people who had issues. He found sailors with foul mouths and foul breath. (laughs) Remember Peter? Not Peter Heist, the Apostle Peter. Peter brushes his teeth. I can attest to that. It's beautiful. (laughs) But Jesus found rejected people. I, I think there's something we can learn from this, though, that we are human just like the first disciples. I think sometimes we struggle. Am I a disciple? Am I a disciple? Well, did you receive Jesus Christ? See, here's what we got to look into. What does disciple really mean? I mean, don't you think we should ask that question? What is a disciple? Now, in the original language, disciple in the Greek, the word means this. It means learner, one who follows one's teaching. So a disciple was a learner. Somebody said, you know, I'm going to learn from this person. These disciples, when when Jesus came to them and said, will you follow me? They dropped everything right then and there and said, yes, Jesus, we will follow you. What they're saying is we will learn from you. What is it that you have to say to us? What is it that you want to teach us in this life? Before pastoring, I, I did a few different things, but I mainly was a painter I also have been a musician for several years. I've told those stories. But uh, I, I was a painter for over 20 years. And, and when I first learned to paint, I, I remember I had a few different people that mentored me. But I went to the job, and they say, come here, come here, watch what I'm doing. And I would watch what they would do. And then eventually they'd say, okay, now I want you to do what I just did while I watch you. See, it's called training, right? I was learning. So get this, I watched what they did. Okay, so you sand it like that, and you're you're caulking, and you're puttying, and I'm having flashbacks right now. Give me a second. So you're doing all these things. Okay, I'm watching. Okay, now I want you to do it. You want me to do it? Yeah, I want you to do it now, but I'm going to be here. I'm going to watch how you do it. Okay, is it okay? Not really. Let's try it again. (laughs) And I I tried over and over, they watched, but eventually they'd say, you know, I think you've got this aspect. I I think you have this facet of painting. So go in another room and go ahead and do what you learn to do. And after 20 years, I became pretty good at it. I became pretty skilled at painting. Jesus said something interesting here. He said, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I want to make this real simple today. What is a disciple? disciples are learners of love. Think about this. We're learners of love. Yeah, it it works right into this series, but it's the truth. Disciples are learners of love. If the proof is our love for one another, then the skill, if I can say that, we are learning is love. How do we love others? Now, Jesus said, They'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. And when I hear that, it breaks my heart. Because I look around at the church universally. And I look around at fellow believers. And and it only takes five to ten minutes, not even that long, on social media to find out something. We're not very skilled at loving people you got to speak the truth. Yeah, it says in love. <laughs> Big difference. It's not yelling truth at people, right? It's, it's loving. And what about each other? I mean, there's churches literally hating each other because of different doctrine or beliefs, or I can't believe you wear jeans to church, or I, I can't believe that you don't do the sacraments like this or that. And it's like, wait a second, have we missed the point? Because a disciple... In order to be one, you got to love. Listen, Pastor Andy's not trying to be hard. I'm just saying, can we evaluate today where we are in this love walk? But we're going to discover some things about the fact that this isn't all on you. This isn't all on you. God made a way for us to love others. I do think part of the problem, though, is we have a culture clash going on. If you haven't noticed, culture is working against us. Culture works against discipleship. If you really want to sum it up, culture is rooted in self. That's right. yeah. Culture is rooted in self. What can I do? I need to get ahead. I want to be a success. I need to study hard. Great things to do. But if it's done completely out of self and not love, we're missing the point. And let me say this. I realize something that's beautiful about the, this whole series is when you're walking out love, a relationship of love, you still get a great network. wonderful image. You're doing good works. Your reputation is great. You have success and your status is good. But see the difference when that's all that you're trying to do. It's all by yourself. And I said this before, if you take the word self and you flip it around backwards and add an H on the end, what is it? Flesh. See, as believers, we have a choice to walk according to the spirit, spirit of love, or according to the flesh. And I'll tell you what, if we're loving people, if we truly care, have you ever met somebody and you just knew that they were high-pressure sales pitching you? You knew it wasn't about you. They were acting friendly and they had to smile, but they wanted to get that sale. See, sometimes we do the same thing when we soul win. It's like, I got to get the sale. I got to get it. I got to save them. I got to save them. First of all, you don't save anybody. The Holy Spirit does. He regenerates hearts. That's why His job is outreach and He works through us. It's beautiful that we're included in the gospel, but you don't save anyone. Let's stop being high-pressure salesmen. Let's actually love people and build relationships because we care about people. See, when things are genuine and real, I don't think it's so hard for people to actually hear the gospel. Sometimes they can't hear the gospel through our uh, anxiety and and our worry. And and, and I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. You don't have to close the deal. The Holy Spirit's going to do that through you. How about building relationships with people, showing them that you're genuine and you really care about what's going on in their aunt and the diagnosis of cancer for their grandma. Can I pray with you? It's not because i got to get your soul. It's because I really, truly care about you as an individual. Why? Because God cares about them. His love is the same for everybody. It's amazing, isn't it? Self-culture makes life about yourself. We're looking out for number one. Listen, I've been there. I'm not trying to put anyone down, but we've all been there. You know, someone asked me this the other day. They said, why is it so hard for believers to receive the gospel? I said believers, right? The fact that we're totally forgiven, past, present, and future. How many know that's a big deal? It's like, thank you, Jesus, I'm forgiven. Sin is no longer an issue between me and God. I have complete access to him 24-7. My son used to say 24-7, seven days a week. I'm like, isn't that redundant? I love Jonathan. He told another joke one time. He came up and he's like, "Hey, uh, hey guys, I'm like, what's up, Jonathan?" And he's like, "Hey, uh, is your refrigerator working?" I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "Is your refrigerator working?" I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Better go catch it then." I'm like, "Did you mean is your refrigerator running?" All <laughs> you were like, "That was a good joke." Oh, running. Okay, I get it. Jeez, enough with the jokes. You, you know, it's too early for jokes, right? But they ask this question, what, why is it so hard for believers to, to really grasp, lay hold of the gospel, the fact that they're totally forgiven, past, present, and the future, the fact that they're justified through Christ? That means that we're righteous. That means that we are always in right standing with God, open access all the time. If you just get that point, shh, your life will change forever. No matter what you go through, you slip, you fall, you do good, you do bad, you'll just be right in your father's arms going, Dad, I need help. And the Bible says that God helps the helpless. It's so when we get to that state we realize, I can't live this life on my own. The Christian life is impossible without Jesus. So, why is it so hard for us to receive that? Because human nature is about working for reward. We're born into a world where If you work hard and and you study really well and and you put your best foot forward, then you'll get that job. If you go to the gym and you eat right and and, and you pump iron, then you're going to look awesome. Is there anything wrong with working out? No. Anything wrong with eating right? (laughs) No. I need to do more of that myself. Is there anything wrong with going to school and getting good grades and, and being the best you can be? Absolutely not. But here's the problem, is when we take that principle and we move it over into our spiritual life. Because right. let me tell you something right now. Our salvation, grace, his goodness, his love, all of it, we never deserved it. We never could earn it. Stop trying to earn his love. He loves you just the way you are, right where you are, right now. This is a big deal. Human nature tells us you gotta work hard to gain reward. In other words, performance equals reward. I wrote this down. I think this, is, this, this blew my mind. Living by works is easier than living by faith. See, when you live by works... Why is it easier? Because you can, you can see it, you can feel it and touch it, like, like you get it, like I'm doing something, I'm working really hard. But walking by faith is, whew, despite my best day or worst day, God's still here. I can't do this life on my own. I need him to help me through this process, and he loves me despite the bad days, and he loves me even on my best days. Let me say this. He loves you. Not only that, he likes you. He desires you. He wants relationship with you. He never holds back. It's usually us going, God, I'm not good enough. And he's like, but I made you good enough. But God, I'm not good enough. But I made you good enough. If you spend time with me, you'll start to see those things change in your life. Are you struggling? Are you dealing with temptation? Are you dealing with sin in your life? The answer is his love and his grace. If we don't have our anchor in love, then what we do is we find ourselves drifting further and further away from the shore, the shores of his love. And it's the safest place for us to be. As we go on about this, I, I know that some of you are thinking, this is great, it's a great subject, love's great, but I want some meat and potatoes. You know, I, I want seven steps to greater faith, and, and, and I, and I want to know how to have a better relationship with my wife or my husband. I want to know how to renew relationship with my kids. I'm struggling on the job. I'm struggling with pornography and lust. I'm struggling with drinking too much. I'm struggling with these medications and stuff they gave me, but now I'm hooked. So give me something to help me in that something deeper. Here's the answer. His love. His love is the answer to all your issues, all your struggles, all your situations. It's his love. The Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 16. He says, I'm asking God to give you a gift from the wealth of his glory. I pray that he would give you inner strength and power through his spirit. You catch that? Then Christ will live in you through faith. Now what he's not saying is you're going to lose Christ and then he'll live in you and then maybe you'll lose him. What he's saying is he's there the whole time, but you'll awaken to your righteousness. You'll awaken to who you really are. And you'll say, wow, Christ lives in me through Faith, can I say something? Faith in God is trust in God. If you're struggling with faith in God, dare I say it's because you don't really know if he loves you or not. You, you can't have faith in someone if you don't think they have your back, if you don't think they really love you, if you think it's just a facade and every time you walk into the room they got to put on the Jesus glasses. Oh, just a second. Okay, oh, you look good now. No, no, no. He made you look good. He made you like him. He made you part of the family, a son, a daughter, righteous, holy, pleasing, acceptable. That's who you are. But I, but I have these issues and, and I welcome the planet Earth, but who you are... Awakening to that is going to change those issues and those habits. And the only way you're going to do that is realize God loves me 24-7, seven days a week, all the time. God loves me. God loves you. This is the gospel. This isn't something sweet we say on a Sunday morning just to make you feel good and then you go back to the real world. Monday through Saturday, we've got to know that God loves us beyond measure. That's what will change our life. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul goes on and he says, I also pray, this is big, that love may be the ground in which you sink your roots and on which you have your foundation. Does this sound light? Does this sound airy? This sounds like the real deal. The Apostle Paul is saying your foundation is love. Sink your roots deep in his love. This way, with all of God's people, you'll be able to understand how wide, long, high, and deep his love is. You will know Christ's love, which goes far beyond any knowledge. I am praying this so that you may be completely filled with God. This last sentence is beautiful. What he's saying is, if you root yourself and ground yourself in his love, and you become you come to the point where you understand, did you see that word? The height, the width, the breadth, the, the depth, how big his love is. And then it says, and know Christ's love, what will happen? You'll be completely filled with God. Now, again, don't take this wrong. You're like, okay, so I'm not completely filled yet. No, God gave you 100% of himself. Does that make sense? It's kind of like Kristen and I, when we got married several years ago, the day we got married, we gave 100% of ourselves to each other. But I tell you what, in 16 years, we've learned so much more about each other. I mean, I've learned how wonderful she is, how beautiful she is, her heart. I mean, yeah, she's beautiful physically, mm, yeah, but her heart is beautiful. She's amazing. And she has found out what a jerk I can be. Sometimes. But see, we find out more about each other. It isn't a fact of God saying, okay, well, you're doing better and you're kind of understanding, so I'll give you 75% of me now. Good job. Good job. What? What's that? No, take some back. He, he only deserves 40. What are they? Have? <sighs> 25 for her. I should only give her like 2%, but I'll give her 25 because I'm a gracious God. No, he gives us 100% of himself. But see, it's up to us to dig in, to root, to understand, to know what that love really means. So is the way of love just some small, little, cute, airy message? No, it's the gospel. It's how we walk. It's how we do life as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus. So what is a disciple? It's a learner of love. I think all of us could say, "Hmm, I need to learn a little bit more about love and what that really means. And you know what's beautiful about this? Is the Apostle John, he put it wonderfully in 1 John 4.19. It says, we love, say we love, because he first loved us. Even our ability to love is only because He's loved us first. God always initiates, and we simply respond. Salvation was He initiated, Hey, I made a way, relationship with me, sin isn't an issue anymore. I want to be, I want to put you into covenant with me. Sometimes we don't understand the whole idea of covenant. In fact, it's called a grant covenant, which means I do everything, I provide everything, and you say yes. That'll blow your mind right there. That God did everything because of his love for us, and he invites us, and all we have to do is say, yes, I trust you. That's the whole walk. We trust him at salvation, and we continue trusting through this whole process, through this whole journey of life, and it's all rooted in love. So what is a disciple? A learner of love. Number two, final question. What does a disciple do? I mean, if you're like, okay, uh, he's a learner of love, but then there's got to be something to do. What does a disciple do? Because I've done books, I've done classes, I've done essays, I've done meetings. And you know what? At times I would look and go, but my life isn't any different. Because it's, I'm good with classes and I'm good with books, but discipleship isn't just something in a textbook that you learn and then you get a good grade on and then I'm a disciple now, I got the badge. When I first answered this question, I thought, well, if I'm asked the question, as the guy speaking up here I should have an answer, I wrote down, what does a disciple do? And my answer was, short answer, loves. You know, as I was praying and kind of going over these notes, I, I looked at the answer and I thought, wait a minute. Maybe that's the long answer. Maybe that's the big answer. Like, that's what we do. Why do I say that? Well, sometimes I think that we make behaviors or the, we could call it the evidence of love, the big thing. For instance, we put others first. We say no to sin. We don't gossip. We don't quarrel. We don't hate. We aren't jealous. We're not demanding. These are all the behaviors, right? We look at those, and we're like, that's the big answer. But you know that those are just the fruit of the root, which is love? See, love really is the big answer, isn't it? It's not a short answer. The short answer is, well, I don't quarrel. I'm not demanding. I say no to sin. Uh, let's see what else. I don't lie. I don't cheat. Uh, I don't backbite. I don't gossip. Why? Because I love. <laughs> The big answer is love. What does a disciple do? When Jesus gave his disciples what we now call the Great Commission, is anyone familiar with that? Before he ascended to heaven, it was called the Great Commission. And he had just spent 40 days telling them about the gospel message, what it really means, because when he died, they were freaking out. They ran and hid. They're like... I don't know what to do. I mean, Jesus is dead. He was supposed to change everything. What they thought was it would be a physical kingdom because they were under Roman occupation. They thought he was going to overthrow the government, become the king, and once again, they would be free. And then he died. They ran and they hid. He spent 40 days with them and said, No, no, guys. This is about a spiritual kingdom. This is about a brand new way of living life. This is about a brand new covenant. Do you see it now? And it said that their hearts burned within them. It's like that feeling I get when I'm having coffee with a brother and we talk about the new covenant. We talk about a new in Christ realities, being a new creation. We talk about the gospel and his goodness and the love and our hearts burn within us. And there's nothing else we would live for. You know, every single disciple was martyred except for John. You don't die for somebody because of a flippant love, a flippant revelation of who he is. You don't die for a cause unless you believe in it. So when he gave this great commission, he says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the spirit. And he says, This, he says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded to obey everything I have commanded. Do you realize the disciples were not told to teach them everything I ever did or said? This is a big deal. He said, teach them everything I've commanded. Now, we just talked about the commandment. He said, a new commandment I give you. Love each other or love one another as I have loved you. Now, if you're not familiar with it, in the old covenant, the old way of living, there were 10 commandments. How many have heard of that? And then there were 613 rules and regulations and ceremonial things that they had to do within this covenant. Now, some people have gone through, and they've tallied up every single time that the New Testament, including Jesus, has referred to any commandments. Do you know what that equals? 1,025. 1,025. Do you really think that Jesus came to almost double the rules and regulations? Think about this for a minute. The commandment he gave appears 13 times in 12 verses in the New Testament. Scott Hahn, he's a modern-day theologian, he said this, While the Torah commanded human love, Jesus commands divine love for one another that's modeled on his own acts of charity. I want you to catch the difference. Now, the Torah, that word in Hebrew means instruction. We could look at the first five books of the Bible and realize that was really the canon that contained the old covenant, the way we live. But the Torah commanded human love. In other words, you love the best you can. On your best day, can you love? Try and love. Try really, really hard and love. And see, I used to do this in the new covenant and say, okay, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Okay, okay, there's nine of them. I'll start with the first. Love. I'm going to get love in people. And sometimes the first day, the first hour, I would fail. But I love what he says. He says, Jesus commands divine love. Divine love doesn't happen without Jesus. It doesn't happen without relationship with him. As that person like I did when I was painting, watching how he does it, watching how he loves people. Watching how even in, because in, all Scripture is good for reproof and instruction, right? We don't throw it out. What I'm saying is we have to properly understand who Jesus was talking to. If he was, on the, if he was preaching, like, for instance, a sermon on the mount and giving you a bunch of law, why do you place yourself into that? What we do is we go, okay, that parable, put myself in it. That Old Testament thing, Job, put myself into it. Oh, Jesus' sermon on the mount, put myself into that. You know, we're not required to put ourselves into every portion of Scripture, but we're to learn from it. What we have to do is put ourselves into a whole new covenant. We have to understand this is based on covenant. This is an oath that God swore to himself. The reason we have what we have, we live the way we live, is because of what he decided. He gave his word, and he did. It's not about you. It's not about me. Jesus didn't come to give us more love. But divine love can only be lived through him. See, once we understand that, we can look again at John 13, verses 34 through 35, where Jesus said, what? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. His commandment was not love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus said that. I I remember he said that. Yeah, he quoted all kinds of Old Testament scripture and law. The Jews said, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and your soul. Oh, and secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. But he didn't say, here's the command I give to thee. He was quoting old covenants. But then he says a new command. See, they understood. Wait a second. This is big. A new command. What are you doing, Jesus? I mean, you're rocking our world here because we've got our commands. No, no, no. A new command I give you. This is now the standard. This is the new command that we follow. If we search the word command in the strongest concordance, what we'll find is that this command is the only command Jesus gave from him. I'm not talking about what he said in a sermon, the Old Testament that he quoted. A lot of times he was dumping and heaping more law on people, so they go, I can't do this. And the Jewish people walked away sad, and the religious leaders walked away mad, and he said, mission accomplished. You can't do it on your own. You know this new command we can't do on our own either? Loving people, truly loving people only comes when we have a relationship with God, a loving relationship with him. The only thing commanded of Christ was to love as he had loved them. For example, later in John, John 15, 12, Jesus said this, My command is this, say my. My, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. In John 15, 17, he says, this is my, say my, my. command, love each other. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the disciples were obedient to his request when he gave the Great Commission? He says, I want you to take these new disciples. I want you to teach them everything I've commanded you. Teach them what I commanded you to do. Do you think they were obedient? I do. I do. And the way we can do that is we can look at the New Testament epistles, the letters of the apostles. What did they say was the most important thing? John said some things like this: For this is the message which you heard from the beginning that we should love one another, and this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his Son Jesus and love one another. Not as though I wrote to thee a new commandment, but that which we had from the beginning that we love one another. Wow, John, I think you're uh, you're getting onto something here. W- what's the command again? Love one another. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 13, 8, Owe no man anything save to love one another. In Thessalonians, he says, For you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 1, For you yourselves are taught of God to, say it, love one another. Come on, it's too simple, man. I'm looking for some rules. I'm looking for something. If you are living a life out of love, you're not going to cheat on somebody. You're not going to lie and cheat and steal. Do you follow me? I said earlier, the answer to temptation an issue in your life is the love of God. The more that he loves you and, and you get saturated in that, what happens? It changes who you are. and Now you begin to love yourself. You love God. You love others. You know, every time that we do something that we call sin, it's hurting somebody. And love says, I don't want to hurt people. God has made me to be different. This isn't freedom to sin. Grace is freedom from sin. It's beautiful. In John 15, Jesus said this, I loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. Now, hold that for a second because I know what you're thinking. That's what I've done. Kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. Now, he says this if you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. I mean, ouch, right? It looks like Jesus is preaching conditional love. But if we go one verse preceding, verse 9, another version says this, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. How does the father love the son? One word, unconditionally. He loved the son unconditionally. Jesus is saying, do you see how my father loves me? That's how I love you. He's preaching unconditional love. That's good news, folks, right? His love is a rock-solid fact you can build on. But you won't have a rock-solid life unless you receive it. Now, close your eyes for a minute. I, I want you to picture something here. Jesus is talking to you, and he's saying this. He's saying, abide, dwell, stay permanently in my love. Remain in my love. Sink your roots deep and let nothing move you from my love for you. Don't let religion try and sell you my love. Look to me. You already have my love. Everything else will fail in this world, most likely, except my love for you. Jesus says my love is the one constant that will hold your world together if you receive it. So receive it, bask in it, immerse yourself in it, stay in it, live in it. See, obedience, I'm telling you right now, your obedience, we talked about it before, it comes from your faith and your trust in God. You don't obey somebody you don't trust. But when you trust God because of his love for you that he showed first, you realize he's got your back he loves you he cares about you he has your best interest in mind he grieves when you grieve he weeps when you weep he laughs when you laugh he literally cares about you and loves intimate relationship with you when he says will you your response is of course but out of self i'm trying god i'm trying We'll try and we'll end in failure. But the motivation of love changes everything. Now, a lot of us here, we're talking about discipleship today, and you think, Pastor, I I really want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'm a believer, but I truly want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be faithful. I want to go to church. I want to read my Bible every day. I want to pray. I want to tell others about Jesus. I want to really grow and mature. I mean, really grow And mature. I know that's your desire. That's my desire, too. But there's something important we need to look at. You can do all those things that I just listed, but without love, you'll be doing good works at best and doing them with selfish motives at worst. Even God says, faith works by love. Trust works. My love, are you catching this today? Does this seem shallow, or can you see how deep the love of God is? The love of God is our fuel for life. If you're struggling, if you're under heavy burden, and you're like, God, I'm just trying so hard, maybe, maybe he's just saying, would you let go of that thing for a minute and let me love you? I truly believe that God's not so much interested in the stuff we do for him as in the time that we spend with Him. Because I'm telling you what, He's already got it covered. He gave you brand new life in Christ, made you brand new at the core. He put the fruit of the Spirit in there, He put good works in there, and He knows if you'll just let His love cultivate your heart, those things are gonna come out. But man, when we get into self effort and tr- we try good intentions, man, it just seems like it fails, whether it's two weeks, two months, two years. You can't do Christianity on your own. I want to look at a final scripture the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now for a lot of us, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you look at this scripture and you know we refer to it as the love scripture. And rightly so. It talks about what love is. Verses 4 through the first part of 8 describes love. Now here's a little side note. Sometime when you're reading that portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through eight. Every time you read love, insert God in there. Because God calls himself two things, love and light. And then you start reading, God is patient. God is kind. Wait a minute, wait a minute. God is not demanding. Wait, Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is painting a different picture of you, God. Yeah, that's who I am. That's who he really is. But sometimes we miss this first portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And I want you to just listen to this. This is absolutely beautiful, the way the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but do not love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate." If I speak God's word with power, like, wow, I'm getting it across, man, and reveal all his mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith to say to that mountain, that literal mountain right there, mountain, jump. And it jumps. We're like, whoa, what power. Look what he did. He moved a mountain. He says, but I don't love. I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor, man, that's a pretty noble thing, isn't it? And even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr. My gosh, Paul, what a picture. You're giving everything away and then you're a martyr? Wow, that's amazing. And he says, but I don't love? (laughs) I've got nowhere. You catching on to this? He says this, so no matter what I say, what I believe and what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Every issue we deal with in our lives, every issue we deal with as a society is because of lack of divine love. We can have every social program on the planet, but if it's devoid of his love, it's nothing. There's only one person that changes us. Who can change a heart? It's Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. Are you catching this today? It's all about love. I, I really want us, after seven weeks, to walk away with something. <laughs> I want us to walk away with this idea that God loves us beyond measure. He desires relationship with you and you and you and you. And me, with every single person in this room, with every single person in this town, with every single person on this planet, he desires relationship. He loves us. And it's unconditional. i tell you, that message will change your heart. Love is the beginning and the end of discipleship. Think about it. It all starts with love. Love. And it keeps going and going and going. Love is the beginning and the end of discipleship. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. You are a good, good father. You desire to be a father to each and every person on this planet. Question today for everyone here with every head bowed and every eye closed Will you decide today to be a disciple? Now, I've heard this question umpteen times in in my growth in the church, but listen to me. Will you decide today to be a disciple? Let me add to that a learner of God's love. Big difference not inviting you to a class, although classes are wonderful, I'm not inviting you to read a book on discipleship and deepness, although that could be a great book for you. I'm asking you, are you willing to be a learner of God's love? Will you pick up relationships along the journey and show them the way of love? This is how we do discipleship. For more information about our ministry here at Faith City, check out faithcity.tv.